the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thanks for joining me today. It's Wednesday, January the 22nd, 2020, in the year of our Lord. Today on January 22nd, 1998, Theodore Kaczynski. Remember Ted Kaczynski? He pleaded guilty in Sacramento, California to being the Unabomber. He was responsible for for, uh, three deaths, 29 injuries. They gave him a sentence of life in prison without parole. Today in 1498, during his third voyage to the Western Hemisphere, Christopher Columbus arrived at present-day Caribbean island St. Vincent. Today in 1901, Britain's Queen Victoria died. She was 81 years old. She'd been on the throne for 63 years. She was succeeded by her eldest son, Edward VII. Today in 1970, the first regularly scheduled commercial flight of the Boeing 747 began in New York, ended in London six and a half hours later. Today in 1973, the U.S. Supreme Court, in its Roe v. Wade decision, legalized abortions using a trimester approach. And today, in 1973, former President Lyndon B. Johnson died at his Texas ranch. He was 64 years old. Today, in 1994, actor Telly Savalas died in Universal City, California, a day after he turned 72 years old. Interesting sidelight. I think you'd find it interesting. It's not a big deal, but as many of you know who listen to this program, Marjorie and I served in the church in North Hollywood for some years. And the church was just a little ways from Universal Studios. And on the campus of Universal Studios, there is a couple of hotels. There's a uh, a Universal Sheridan. I think there's two of them now. And uh, Telly Savalas lived in the Sheridan Hotel. That was his home. And he was around there all the time. She and I used to have breakfast there once in a while. And I always see Telly Savalas hanging out. He was a pretty big deal back in those days. Everybody knew him as Kojak on the TV series, but um, he lived in a hotel. That would be kind of a lonely life, I would think, living in a hotel your whole life. Of course, you wouldn't have to. Well, we won't get into that. Anyway, he died today in 1994, one day after turning 72 years old. Speaking of dying, Today, 1995, Rose Fitzgerald Kennedy, she died at the Kennedy Compound in Hyannisport, Massachusetts, but she was not 72. She was 104. Today, in 2009, President Barack Obama signed an executive order to close Gitmo, the Bay Prison Camp, Cuba, within a year. But the facility remained in operation because lawmakers blocked efforts Barack Obama, as President of the United States, wanted to bring those terror suspects to the United States and give them a trial that's afforded to citizens of the United States. Nobody could believe it. Even the left was left pondering a bit before they backed their leader, the president. 
President Donald Trump later issued an order to keep it open and allow the Pentagon to bring new prisoners there. And that's the status today. Five years ago today, with tens of thousands of abortion protesters swarming Washington, and boy, they were there, and they're there every year, in their annual March for Life, the House voted two, uh, 242 to 179 to permanently forbid federal funds from most abortion coverage. However, as that legislation began to ease its way through the halls of government, it never did pass at that time. Boy, there is a fight for death in regards to abortion like you almost can't believe. These people lay it on the line every day. They get up. How would you like to get up every day with your one objective is to expand abortions, kill more unwanted babies? One year ago today, the Supreme Court said the Trump administration could go ahead with its plan to restrict military service by transgender men and women as the court challenges are continuing as we speak today. And boy, they are. That didn't go over well with the LGBTQ plus whatever community. Well, the trial to get rid of President Trump is underway. It started 12 hours yesterday. It went a little over 12 hours, actually. The impeachment trial against President Trump had erupted in shouting more than one time. But as the as the day you know, wore on, I think these guys got tired and they got more cranky. And for good reason, if you're a conservative, I'll tell you. And the, the, the far left, the progressives, so-called, they were getting cranky as well. They were tired. And it didn't really go their way yesterday. And it hasn't. It hasn't. They've, been, they've had the numbers, so they were able to get the vote in the House. But just the merit of this case just doesn't stand well for the people who want to get rid of Trump. So anyway, that was kind of the tone of the day. There's not a lot of things to report on or talk about this morning because they really didn't do anything yesterday. They were really arguing over the rules, and they were just trying to get FaceTime and all this kind of thing. But the one thing that did happen was kind of unusual, but this whole thing is unusual. I mean, any impeachment is unusual. This one is particularly unusual because those who are trying to impeach the president of the United States haven't really charged him with any crimes. They just don't like him. They hate him, and they're trying to get rid of him. But anyway, the outburst got kind of got heightened there toward the end of it. I didn't watch the whole thing, but I paid attention to what was being said and done there. But the outbursts, as the evening wore on, were getting pretty strong. In fact, I'm a big fan of Jay Sucklow. I've known him in the past. I, I don't have any contact with him now, but he's a good guy. He's one of the lawyers for the president, and uh, he's one of us. He's a believer, and he's a very strong conservative and a, and a very good lawyer. And so uh, he got he got a little had he'd had enough, and so he really took off on. I think it was Nadler or one of those guys. Anyway, the uh, the chief justice of the Supreme Court, John Roberts, is you know the moderator or I don't know whatever. I, I'm not sure what they call him in this, but anyway, he's in charge of it, and he's presiding. I guess that would be the word. But anyway, he he banged his cavil and he 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 said the he said these outbursts have got to stop. 
He said, it is appropriate at this point for me to admonish both the House managers and the President's counsel in equal terms to remember that they are addressing the world's greatest deliberative body. He said one reason it has earned that title is because its members avoid speaking in a manner and using language that is not conducive to civil discourse. Other than that, it was just kind of a back and forth, and as I said, as the day wore on, it became kind of a shouting match. Lars Larson, a friend of mine, good guy, don't agree with everything Lars says on the radio, but I do most of what he says. I, I do, and I like Lars a lot. He's a good guy. He said this morning, I'm quoting him, he said, day one of the impeachment trial of President Donald Trump finally wrapped up in the early morning. It was. It was like 1.40 a.m. or something this morning when the staff finally got out of there. Anyway, I'm quoting Lars. He said, nearly midnight here on the left coast of America, the rules adopted by the Senate promise a long slog through all the same information Americans heard last fall and no new witnesses for now. Frankly, I'm, gra- I'm glad the trial's happening because it's the only way to let President Trump clear his name. Yesterday's marathon session made one thing very clear. Democrats want Trump out, but they didn't want to do the work to build the case. He said Nancy Pelosi called her impeachment case infallible. We talked about that on this program yesterday. And undeniable. Impeachment manager Congressman Jerry Nadler called it overwhelming and beyond any reasonable doubt. Large said California's Adam Shifty Schiff calls it a record that compels the conviction of the president. And yet, Lars says, Democrats demanded that the Senate produce thousands of pages of documents, the same documents which the House of Representatives could have asked for and did not. Democrats demanded the Senate call witnesses and force them to testify under subpoena, the same subpoenas the House filed and then withdrew for some of the same witnesses. Senators took a vote and told the Democrats, make your case. If you didn't do the job... It's not our job to fix a pathetic and inadequate impeachment. Yeah, that about sums it up. That's what happened. That's pretty much the deal yesterday. We'll keep an eye on this, and each day we'll talk about it. Uh, I won't be writing about it. Some of you read our daily, our article, our blog. It's called Faith and Freedom Daily. And you know we stay pretty current with it, but it is that's created the night before because it's published at 5 o'clock in the morning. I do not get up at one. 40 or 2 a.m. in the morning to write that. I write it the night before. It's prepped, it's it's edited, it's gone through, and etc. So and it's set up for publishing through the company that publishes it every morning. And it goes out uh, on the Internet uh, all over the world, of course, and it's read in a number of countries. So we get it out the night before, but we keep it as, as relevant and as timely as we can and the things that we write about in that, and, and we do a lot of resourcing there. So those for those of you who read it, we will I'll be paying attention today, and I'll probably say something about it tomorrow, but we're not writing extensively about it because what's happening is, is moving forward each day and, and often late at night, and we're just not able to get it done, get it prepped, get it checked for legal and all that kind of thing, and get it out. So uh, we'll be talking more in a more relevant way and more timely way on this program because it's live than we will in what we're writing, but we will be doing both. So, so <clears throat> excuse me. So I would encourage you to, to read it and many do and um, stay, stay tuned to it. But we write about these things. We just aren't as on it as we are on this program in the morning. 
Thank you for your support of this program. It means a great deal to me, and of course it makes the difference whether we can turn on the microphone every day. Truly, it does. Um, we're not uh, funded by some big, you know, deep-pocketed organization somewhere. It's those who listen and believe in what we're doing that support it that allow me to come on the radio every day. We've been doing this for several years now, and thanks to all of you who support us. And boy, I mean that. I don't say that lightly. Thank you. I feel very strongly that God has called me to do this, but that calling would be of little value if there weren't other people who felt that they too should be a part of this. And that would be you who support this ministry. I get your notes. I read all the notes. This one says, Hi, Gary. I've been listening to your program for the last two years. Really enjoy it. Thanks for keeping it real. We try to keep it real. We do. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Well, we're learning today in a new book that's just released. We learned yesterday from advanced copies of the book. We're learning that Elizabeth Warren's son-in-law with whom she's very close. It's not an estranged relationship, not that it should matter, but it isn't. He has a very troubling tie with Iran and the regime, not like family members there. I know Christian Iranians who have family members there. They have a close tie to the country, to Iran. But this guy is tied to the government. Elizabeth Warren's son-in-law. She's married. He's married to her daughter. It's a curious, It's very curious in light of a statement that she made yesterday in which she's promising as president to create an independent Justice Department task force to investigate possible corruption by the Trump administration. These people never quit, but that's what she was telling the press yesterday. And of course, as you may know, the New York Times has come out now and they support her. They support her to be president of the United States. It's an amazing thing. But they do. It was breaking news among conservatives, mainstream media, the New York Times and others. They pretty much didn't mention this yesterday because they didn't have to, but they will have to. You'll you'll hear this or see it in the news today or tomorrow in some marginalized way, I'm sure, but it was revealed that the presidential candidate, Elizabeth Warren's son-in-law, has very close and very troubling connections to the Iranian government. Best-selling author Peter Schweizer, his new book, it's out today, it's at Costco and everywhere else, Profiles in Corruption. It reveals that Warren's son-in-law, I, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, I think it's, it's not sushi, but I mean, it's like, Sushil Tagli, Taggy, something like that. I'll refer to him as her son. I don't. Be, I don't want to be disrespectful, and I honestly can't pronounce the name. I say a lot of words in my life, but I, I don't know how to pronounce it. Anyway, he's married to her daughter Amelia. He's been involved in a series of very curious, troubling business ventures around the world, but the one that seems very troubling, and is well documented and exposed in. Schweitzer's new book, Profiles in Corruption, it's a best-selling best author. Very concerning. Schweitzer says the son-in-law, 
has a film company. It's called Tricolor Films, with which he produced a film called The Song of Sparrows, which was directed by Iranian filmmaker Majad Majadi. And it was funded by the Iranian government agency that's overseen by Iranian propagandists. He also chronicles the close relationship that Warren and her husband have with the son-in-law. They travel to India. He's from India originally. He's an Indian. And then he lives somewhere else. I, I read a portion of the book. I can't remember where else he lived, but he's from there. Anyway, he ended up in the U.S. going to college. He met Elizabeth Warren's daughter there and Amelia they got married and as I said the family is very close they're very close to their son-in-law which that is a, is a good thing but it isn't as though she's not aware of what he's doing but the Song of Sparrows this film that he made was funded by at least two Iranian government agencies Schweitzer says in his book and I'm quoting a, a little bit of it says the film credits uh, uh, the full credits of the film for some reason seem to also have been scrubbed from the Internet. He, in the book, he's talking about how the fact that once he this transcript, he started writing the book, they have screenshots. I mean, they can prove that it actually did say this in, on, the, on the Internet, but they've taken it down now. They don't want people to read this now that it's out there. So what he's saying, Schweitzer's saying in his book, and this happened while he was writing the book, and they got wind that they were going to be in the book, this guy, this son-in-law, so he said the full credits of the film, for some reason, seem to also have been scrubbed from the Internet. We obtained a copy by using the Wayback Machine and made a startling discovery. The movie's chief investors included none other than the social deputy of the state welfare organization, SWO of Iran, as well as the cultural and artistic organization of Tehran. Now, Schweitzer says... These two investors in a film might appear at first glance to be innocuous cultural organizations, but he said they're not. Both are funded and controlled by the Islamic Iranian government. The Cultural and Artistic Organization of Tehran says this about themselves. This organization was founded in 1996 and does its activities under the supervision of a board of trustees composed of various cultural institutions, such as the IRIB and Islamic Propaganda Organization. Those are their words from their website. Another event that is inherently anti-Semitic, for sure, is this Quds Day. Now, Quds Day was related to Soleimani, the guy that President Trump took out here a couple of weeks ago. <clears throat> he was kind of the main leader of the terrorist activities of the country of Iran. Well, the Quds are probably the premier group of terrorists who carry out terrorism and so on. So this event that they sponsor every year is sponsored by these people that are sponsoring this film. And Quds Day on the last day of Ramadan, the organization arranges this organization that was part of the funding of Elizabeth Warren's son-in-law's film. They arrange marches as well as they organize posters and other materials for Cuds Day. On their website, they say a new plan for the destruction of Israel will be launched this year, and the Cuds cultural radio station will be located at the radio station. I'm not sure what that means, but that's what it says. I guess at there's some radio station that's well-known. Well, the Cuds cultural radio station is going to be located there. I think that's what that means. 
But anyway, Schweitzer notes in his book that the, quote, Cuds Day typically features massive crowds organized by the Iranian government chanting death to America. We've seen some of those videos in our own news. And burning effigies. They burn our flag. They burn effigies of the president, etc. And the media covers it widely, not only in Iran, but around the world. He also says the film's credits lead like a, read like a who's who of prominent Iranian government institutions, including a thank you to the Iranian Revolutionary Guards Air Force. Soleimani was head of that. I wrote an article on this, as I said. There's a number of links if you want to look at it. It's at Faith, A-N-D, Freedom, faithandfreedom.us. There's a lot of faith and freedoms out there nowadays. That's why we've legally attached my name to this one because, I mean, they're all over the place. They didn't exist when we started this, honestly, but they do today. So it's .us. If you go to .com, there there are a couple of Muslim sites that are called Faith and Freedom. There's a whole bunch of stuff. There's some other Christian sites that have been initiated in more recent uh, days, years, the last couple of years. So it's faithandfreedom.us. Pelosi, Warren, tribe on the left, they spent more than three years trying to prove that Trump has inappropriate ties to Russia, which in the end he didn't have. What if, it just occurred to me, what if Donald Trump Jr., or Eric Trump, but let's say Donald Trump Jr., one of the president's sons, was making movies with Putin in Russia? Or what if he was making a movie and Iran was paying for it? Can you imagine that this... eh, He has a right to do what he wants to do. Well, he does. But ironically, the thank yous to the Revolutionary Guards, all of this this who's who of leaders in Iran that Schweitzer mentions in his book, came at a time of heightened U.S.-Iran tensions. You'll remember this. When our government was accusing their government of assisting in killing five American soldiers based in Iraq. It's been a couple of years ago when Schweitzer first started writing this book and working on the, the, the resource in the background. At that time, we were saying that they killed five of our soldiers based in Iraq, and this guy, Elizabeth Warren's son-in-law, was thanking these very people for assisting him in making this movie. Iran was at the same time calling the United States publicly a satanic power and calling for Israel to be wiped off the face of the earth. Does Elizabeth Warren see any conflict in this? Apparently not. She promises, yesterday she promised that if she's elected, she will create an independent justice department task force to investigate possible corruption by Trump and his administration. She says her federal initiative will probe potential violations of bribery and public integrity laws by Trump officials. She's promising to review federal contracts that arose as a result of corruption under the current administration. And speaking of that, in the same book, and this is just coming out this morning, Joe Biden's son, Hunter, is not the only one that's been profiting off Joe Biden's vice presidency. 
Now we're learning that Joe Biden's brother, James Biden, has been doing the same thing. In in this book, in Schweischer's book, and I mean it it it's a they use the word bombshell all the time, but I'll I'll tell you that this is. In his book, Profiles in Corruption, like I said, it's on the shelf today in stores across the country. I'm gonna I'm gonna get a copy of it. I wanna read it and look at some of the particularly look at some of the sourcing in it, but it details how James Biden used his brother Joe Biden's influence to take in $1.5 million. Billion, I'm sorry. Shortly after a disastrous attempt at running a hedge fund with his nephew Hunter, Hunter went off to Ukraine to make his fortune. James Biden entered the construction and international development industry. He didn't have any background in either. He secured a position as executive vice president of the newly formed Hillstone International. It almost immediately then, Hillstone International immediately received more than $1.5 billion in government-backed contracts through the Obama administration, a la Joe Biden VP. Same story all over again. Boy, you talk about corruption. No wonder these guys think everybody's corrupt. They are. Warren said yesterday, here's what bothers me. She said, I'm quoting Elizabeth Warren. By the time we get to 2020, I think she means the election. I'm sure she knows we're already in 2020. But she says, by the time we get to 2020, Donald Trump may not even be president. In fact, he may not even be a free person. But here's how I see it. Donald Trump is not the only problem we've got. Donald Trump is the symptom of a badly broken system. Well, I have to wonder, is her son-in-law, does she see his activities? With a hostile, hostile government, a symptom of anything? Would her personal story be a symptom? She spent her entire adult life claiming to be Native American, indigenous Indian, whatever, picking up grants and teaching jobs because she was a minority. Is that symptomatic of anything? I'll tell you. The Washington Times wrote a story today. It's not it's not connected to what I'm talking about here, except that it's about Elizabeth Warren. The story begins in the Washington Times Senator Elizabeth Warren is a pathological liar. That's the first line. You go, okay. But they go on to say how it says the Massachusetts Democrat uh, lied about being an American Indian, lied about when she, when she promised to serve her full Senate term if reelected in 2018, lied when she said her children attended public schools, and lied when she said her father worked as a janitor, and lied when she said he was being fired. she was being fired for visibly being pregnant. And all of these things were not true, as it turned out. Remember the Indian thing? She picked up grants. She, I mean, she made money. In fact, as a result of her being an American Indian woman minority, in 2010 and 2011, she taught one class at Harvard, and she was paid $429,981 to teach one class each year, one class. Boy, I'll tell you. It's an amazing time in which we live. In the article that I wrote today, I talk about corruption and I talk about what Scripture says about it. And we go into it in some detail. So I would encourage you to read it. But I'll leave you with this. Jesus said, Every plant that my Heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by its roots. Disregard them. They are blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, they both fall into the pit. Thank you so much for being with me today. It's always a pleasure and a privilege. 
We'll look forward to seeing you right here. We'll continue to keep updated on what's happening in the impeachment trial, and we'll keep you updated, and we'll keep it real.